0: Was uh, I'm on, yeah, more or less. So I was talking to a friend uh, a few days ago, and he was telling me that uh, for a year, almost a year now, he's been sitting for ninety minutes every morning, and uh, he told me that he actually hates the last 30 minutes. (laughs) He it's very difficult, but I can do it, so I decided I would do it. I was very impressed by that. Yeah, he said, it's sometimes it's kind of unbearable, but it's bearable, you know. I, I can do it. And uh, he said, it develops a lot of uh, stability of mind. Ninety minutes. Um. Yeah. All the qualities that I think it develops is amazing. The persistence and the determination and the patience. I think he wouldn't do it if he couldn't, you know, but he can, so he does. And he says also that uh, it's been very, very significant in his uh, life. Like it means a lot, It, it shows. He says maybe, he was not too sure, he said maybe more than the actual retreats that he's done, and he's done a lot. But it's hard to, to know, you know, what caused what, but he said it's, it, it brings a stability that he's able to be with what is difficult much more because of uh, these 90 minutes every day. So Tonight I want to talk about um, equanimity. And uh, I shared that little story just because it was, uh, to me, it was really like a kind of a decision to work on that quality of equanimity by doing this uh, kind of practice for a year. Um, so equanimity is the um, kind of the highest. Uh, quality of mind that uh, it's said that hum- a human being can have it's actually the closest to the experience of uh, nibbana uh, mind that is uh, at peace and we don't want to be mistaken it doesn't mean that it's a mind that is uh, drab or flat you know it doesn't mean that life becomes like even i think it means that there is a, a peace a calm even in the in the midst of a fire intense fire sometimes it's mistaken for uh, indifference or being removed or detached uh, kind of cold what's uh, happening untouched but actually uh, a beautiful version that uh, is presented and that we can experience is really much uh, based on presence what we've been talking about in the last few days presence to me means closeness intimacy Maybe because at some point we discovered that the pain of an open heart is actually less than the pain of resistance. The fragility, vulnerability of uh, surrendering, Accepting has much more vitality than uh, the forcing, controlling that we do often. This equanimity has an amazing place in these uh, teachings. It's kind of at the top of top or bottom, top, end, top, (laughs) of uh, a number of lists. the fourth of the Brahma Vihara the qualities of the heart like Metta that we've been talking about and that's kind of my pet little system that I love and I think many people love this of all the lists, you know, there's this little list of four that is uh, particularly sweet it's the Brahma Vihara or the immeasurables because these four qualities can be limitless, boundless. And uh, so here again, this explanation that I think we might have, we've given here, you did yesterday, I think, just because, okay, I indulge here. That's just for me. I'd love to say that. So there is this open heart. When the heart is open and clear and luminous, there's this meta, this... Uh, well-wishing this caring that is natural to the heart that is not obscured uh, uh, dirtied by misunderstanding and and forces like greed and delusion and and uh, hatred so the heart naturally uh, cares and then so that numero uno meta and then when uh, this heart meets what is difficult, then it turns into compassion. Compassion, it says, to be this trembling of the heart when it meets difficulty. So you see there is a vulnerability in there. It's uh, it's a beautiful mix, actually, of strength and vulnerability. And then when this heart, same heart meets, that is open, meets uh, Success or joy, it rejoices. That's mudita, the other quality of the heart. So un, dos, tres. Equatro is uh, equanimity. It's kind of the, on top of it, and it helps balance them. So compassion doesn't fall into despair. Uh, yeah, despair is a good word here. And joy doesn't fall into uh, exuberance when the joy is kind of self-satisfied and self-producing and kind of running on empty, like agitated basically, you know, and not connected to what is going on. So uh, upeka, the equanimity, is the one that keeps it, uh, keeps these uh, movements of the heart, uh, uh, keeps them from falling into the extremes of despair and exuberance and all the other forms of attachment uh, for uh, metta, clinging. Uh, So that's uh, what uh, uh, equanimity does in this group of four. It's also present, I'll say that very quickly, in the ten perfections. So there's this list of beautiful qualities of mind that it's said that to become a Buddha you have to perfect these. And if we bring in the cosmology here, the rebirth, uh, several lifetimes, it says that the Buddha t- took many, many, un- con- impossible to count number of lives to actually develop these qualities to perfection ethics, generosity, uh, uh, persistence, endur- endurance, energy, uh, wisdom, metta. I'm not going to name the the ten probably because I didn't count, but the last one is uh, equanimity. Again, this capacity to uh, balance the heart and mind and keep the mind stable and uh, stable, but also with the sense of duration in time, and uh, in terms of sort of the vast, the range, the vast range of. Uh, experience that we can go through yeah so that's the 10 perfection and uh, then there's another list of the seven factors of enlightenment let's have listed uh, tonight so um, i think this goes maybe with the question like so how does this uh, equanimity comes about it's not a choice it's not like okay let me be equanimous now enough of reactivity You know, it just doesn't work like this, does it? We would love to be equanimous, but it's just not the case all the time. And so, equanimity is actually the result of, uh, you could say, I think it's fair to say, a long, dedicated practice, uh, because uh, its stability uh, comes and its depth comes from wisdom, from insight and, and the way it builds if we use the seven factors of enlightenment. In the last few days we talked about the hindrances, the difficult emotions uh, that confuse us. Uh, so there's this list also of beautiful qualities and you might listen to this as I name them and you might have seen them in your practice. They uh, show up here and there and it says that when we develop them also to perfection, they will naturally uh, end in uh, freedom of the heart, freedom from uh, confusion. And so as, as we develop them, uh, it says that uh, as the rain falls into a small spring in the spring, goes in the river and the river to the ocean in the same way as we practice this is what happens is uh, all these uh, this water leads to the ocean inevitably and so it's the same thing with uh, uh, these factors of mind that we develop and it starts with what could be the first factor wild guess but sati the mindfulness and so these uh, energy, they, they kind of uh, they have a synergy to them. They, they, work, they kind of work together, so you'll see. So there's attention, being present. And being present uh, with uh, interest uh, brings energy and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm feeds the loops, the loop again. And because there is enthusiasm, especially when we're able to maintain and we see that mindfulness comes back, you know, And then we're like, wow, I'm getting the, how do you say that? I'm getting the hook of that, you know? And so that gives energy and the energy is going right back in the spiral. So there's interest, attention, uh, enthusiasm come together. And then there's satisfaction. There's no need to look outside because the practice itself is satisfying. And what we're experiencing is already a lot, is plenty. Even though it might be unpleasant when before, we would base our happiness on the fact that things were pleasant now it's not this deal anymore it's just seeing what's happening making links with what's going on and now there's a lot of energy in this and enthusiasm and satisfaction and contentment and the mind calms down because it's so interested in what is going on that it really cares and it kind of slows down and then the mind becomes tranquil and settled And you can really feel breath moving, thoughts passing, sound arising and passing. And all this, suddenly this kind of strange dance of being alive uh, (coughs) becomes more like three-dimensional and extraordinary. Yeah? So the mind is uh, calm, we say, and steady And unified unified in the present moment it stays there because there's so much going on this is the concentration aspect and then the last one I'm already at the seven it didn't take so long did it and the seven is equanimity the stability of mind that is able to receive one thing after the other and know it again and again know the pleasantness the unpleasantness and it keeps going like this with the curiosity and and then it spins like this sometimes uh the way i think about it is uh when we sit like this it's a little bit like we're um, little hens in the hen stable <laughs> 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 i might not be accurate here but <laughs> and we're just sitting on this little egg, the egg of awakening, (laughs) that's how I call it so we're like, just like we're sitting like this and you know it seems like nothing's happening but inside the egg you know something is forming something is taking shape you know and then we go out you know eat a little bit (laughs) walk a little bit and then we come back and we sit again you know And at some point, <laughs> something opens. Insight arises. Some understanding arises. An understanding of it, it can be a very uh, wide range of things. The insight is very wide. It can be insight into uh, forgiveness. It could be this. Into releasing a grudge. The, the, how beneficial, how healing it is like, that could be one thing self-forgiving you know that could be one thing uh, but it could it could be uh, could be so wide no i mean ev- everybody comes in interview and they report these little bits of understanding i've been forcing too much i've been heading in the wrong direction like all kinds of insights Uh, this equanimity, this really deep, stable peace of mind is based on a few very important insights. And uh, so I, w- I would like to, to s- slow down now and try to look a little bit at f- a few of these insights that will uh, really lead to a, to a stability of mind that can become unshakable, unperturbable. Yeah. So when we are ordinarily attentive, like when we go through our day, we see stuff, we hear stuff, and uh, we feel stuff. This stuff for us is um, um, very uh, specific, some things are big, others are small, some things are red, others are blue, some things I like, some things I don't like, some things are pleasant, others are unpleasant. There's a lot of diversity, everything is kind of unique, big, small, far, near, uh, you know, uh, thoughts, sounds, there's a lot of diversity in there everything is unique as its unique little uh, specificity to it but at a deeper level there are some uh, characteristics that all these events or phenomena have in common we call them the marks the three marks of existence uh, the universal, universal Characteristics of any phenomena, be it something that is heard, something that is seen, tasted, smelt, touched, thought. Everything shares in common these three little marks. And these are the things we want to start seeing in our experience. So you see that I'm moving from. Uh, I'm moving towards the ultimate reality I was talking about the other night when I was saying mindfulness kind of looks at what's going on and extracts kind of the essence of it. So these three marks are the essence of what's going on, some of the essence of what's going on. And so the first one is, I, I like these words in Pali, and I'm sure many of you do too, huh? like metta mudita karuna is compassion upeka is uh, equanimity the three marks now anicca anicca is impermanence the fact that things are changing constantly with the same teacher where i you remember when i fell on my flat on my <laughs> face <laughs> so uh, one time there was a uh, of a little gathering for the birthday of uh, this teacher of mine and uh, she decided she would dance a little dance a little waltz but with everyone for her birthday so there was about the number of people that were here and the song that she was singing was Anicca impermanence, everything rising, falling. Anicca impermanence, everything rising, falling. Anicca. And she would grab somebody and dance for a few steps, with the, and then with the other one. And I think the way I remember it, anyways, I was holding the birthday cake. And, <laughs> and it was a generous big cake for everyone, and I was holding the cake. <laughs> and she was like, and she didn't say that she was going to dance with everybody she just kind of got into it and she kept going anicca impermanence <laughs> and i kept thinking and i remember thinking at some point this is never going to end <laughs> <laughs> this is Nietzsche. <laughs> um, anyway but um, so i heard this anicca impermanence everything rising falling many many times and it stayed with me and so uh, the invitation in our practice is to actually witness this and, so, um, and to witness it directly as only the meditative presence can do because otherwise it's an intellectual understanding. Of course, I've changed. I'm not the same as I was when I was a kid and a tree grows and then fall, it changes. That's kind of on a gross level, I would say. But the invitation is to see it on a very minute uh, level, um, see it moment by moment. And one of the, um, I don't know if it's the right word here, impediment to seeing Anicca, impermanence, is um, similarity or continuity. Because from moment to moment, things look, the same and feel the same we think they're one long thing uh, but with attention that is getting deeper and deeper and more precise or the receptivity you can talk about it more like this maybe the receptivity the capacity to receive get uh, um, better uh, we can start to see that there is a momentary arising and falling of everything and this can be shaky when we start to touch this that god it's ending all the time all the time every time i make a step in my walking it's disappearing like the the step i just made is as far as the moment of my birth or the moment of the birth of the universe it's completely gone that moment is gone if i recall it it's a present experience of thinking my last step is a memory a present memory but the step itself is gone everything is uh, like this and the invitation is to see this uh, in practice another of the three characteristics so there's anicca and there's dukkha dukkha is um, often translated by suffering or insatisfaction stress sometimes it covers a whole range uh, of uh, the fact that uh, nothing can provide lasting happiness this sounds like really bad news when we hear about it the first time but actually so strange that these these characteristic of vanitia things being impermanent and and things not being uh, able to satisfy us are actually a direct path to peace and ease of mind and happiness a deep kind of happiness and connection with the world, because the realization of this is also the end of false hope of confused expectation. So then we can really meet the world. How to say that? We can really meet the world in its own terms, huh? In in uh, meet really reality as it is. So. I spend a, let me spend a few minutes on this dukkha there's three levels of it, it sounds all like very theoretical but when we hear about it suddenly it make, it makes sense you'll see okay so i didn't know i was going to tell this story but here we go so a number of years ago i go to see a theater show they're a, a, a true a, a company of uh, theater company from england their name is forced entertainment and um so at the beginning of the or what seems to be the beginning of the show the show turned out to be like the play turned out to be several hours and so they were forcing entertainment on us they were uh, (laughs) they're they were they were doing a they were an experimental theater and exploring uh, entertainment you know <laughs> so somebody comes in there were several things really crazy that happened and people started leaving and and i was fascinated by their whole research thing so the first i think the first thing that happened is there's a woman who come on stage and she said uh hey we're here to entertain you tonight so please uh you know forget about uh forget about you know the stuff that doesn't go right in your life don't don't uh don't think about this please so don't think about uh you know don't think about like the traffic in the morning th- things like this don't think about that don't think about you know uh disease do not think about any kind of disease that you might have or will have or people have in your family or have had had, had or uh, and like all the medical stuff around this, you know, waiting at the hospital and the tests, and don't don't think about this, don't think about you know the uncertainty of life, you know, of like career that turn otherwise or, the, or relationship that don't work, and don't think about this. And then she, so you see where it's going. And she kept going and going, and we were 25 minutes into her, and she's like, and she was doing being very very thorough. and touching about all aspects of experience and I was thinking oh my god they have to be Buddhists (laughs) because that's totally our stuff you know dukkha so this was a description of what we call the first level of dukkha we call it dukkha dukkha yeah and so because it's the obvious dukkha it's the thing that is hard to bear and you know uh, uh, and the Buddha when he describes it he says Birth is uh, difficult, uh, an aging, illness, being separated from what we want, being stuck with what we don't want uh, is difficult. So there's a recognition of this. To me, I don't know if it does that to you, but I like that it's named. Yeah, it is difficult to be a human being. Ah, oh, God, it's not just my fault, you know, that I'm, I keep missing the beat or the whatever I miss, you know or somebody else's fault it's not it's not somebody else's fault It's. it's constructed like this there's difficulty in it and then so if so then there's a next uh, stage or a next uh, uh, kind of uh, way to talk about this so there's uh, everything that is difficult and so make sure we include everything else <laughs> there's the dukkha of change and so suddenly, whoops, everything that is pleasant is welcome also in the, in the world of insatisfaction, impossibility to satisfy, because it's going to change. So there might be enjoyment and gratification, but it's not lasting. It's not enduring happiness, because it, it cha- even if it doesn't change right now, it might, and we know that there's something in us that might, you know, and I see this sometimes, uh, like one little place where I see it, there's many places, but so I'm with friends and they have kids, and we're having fun, we're talking, and then there's a kid does some movement, and one of us will go like, <gasps> you know, because there's a knowledge that things are fragile, that everybody's having fun, and it's going well, and it's a good dinner on the terrace, you know, and, but things, you know might and sometimes we see it change everything's going well and then suddenly somebody says something and the whole of reality becomes sour becomes sour you know like it's just not what it was a minute ago and yeah and we see this on things like people will come and say my family goes is well my career is well there's, there's dukkha still it's not like, what I thought would satisfy me doesn't do it completely. Huh? It's very important to touch this. And then there's another level, just in case there was something forgotten in there. It doesn't seem like it, but the other level is, uh, is sankara dukkha. So it means that everything that depends on something else to be, is is everything that is fabricated that means pretty much i mean it does mean everything except the unborn undying this thing that is called nibbana or nirvana so everything that is like i am there because of something else because of my parents meeting in a hundred millions of different conditions so everything that is conditional that depends on something else to be is by nature cannot satisfy because it's conditional so it means the condition will change when it's there it's because the conditions are there and when the condition changed this thing event uh, uh, whatever it is will change so it's unstable and the buddha said 2600 years ago to me this is mind-blowing he said when you see that everything is shaky everything is trembling this is his words don't do you see a link with like physics and what we observe now with the instruments so he says when you see that everything is shaky and trembling you cannot rely on it in the same way for your happiness something inside of you is deeply shaken also So these three uh, characteristics. No, I named only two. Yeah, okay. There's another one. The other one is uh, anatta. So anicca, everything rising, falling, dukkha, insat insatisfactoriness, and then anatta. Anatta is the in all experience too, nothing that can be owned nothing can be owned it's not possible to own something that is going to pass that is uh, so on a conventional level yes this is the example i usually like to use yes this is my bike on a conventional level this is my bike but somebody stole it was it really my bike i cannot really i have totally owned it because it comes when the conditions are right and when the conditions aren't anymore it's gone my opinion so it's at all levels my opinion was actually something I just heard on the radio yesterday and suddenly I'm very proud to have this opinion yeah and then until I hear I go back to my car and hear something opposite well presented and, I'm like, and then I'll go to the next person and say, no, I don't agree because this and that argument. It was not really mine because it's changing. Yeah? Also because there's nothing that has a core that is inherently separate. I'm not separate. I'm depending on, like, I cannot say my talk because there's no talk if there's no room and people in it. You know, like... It's all kind of related together. Tit Nhat Hanh talks about the, the piece of paper. You might know this example. Said this doesn't exist outside of the universe. It took the sun, it took uh, the earth, the trees, the guy who cut the tree, the people who transformed it. It took the whole story of the universe from the Big Bang up until today to make this be and it's not there uh, inherently there's no core to it it's just part of the big matrix and what we do is we make it like paper and it's very useful so I can say like give me this paper and on that paper we can have this conversation and we can name things but it doesn't really exist apart from the whole story of the universe it's not separate so the good news of anatta not self is that although it appears like we're separated we are not we're part of the whole dense and flux of the universe so you see these three marks are not easy to see it takes a lot of uh, attention and we need to feel our way into this very slowly yeah and so that's why we say like uh, so there is the presence of fear for example it's not that i'm fearful i can say that but ultimately it's not it's the conditions are right for fear to arise you can play with this in your practice if you want uh, with the uh, nut self by just changing the language you use and that's the language that we present here a lot when practicing we'll say hearing is happening we'll say uh, a sensation uh, becoming a parent or an uh, experience. You see, it's not like I... There's no need for this in hearing. Hearing happens, and it's known. So you can play with this language if you want a little bit and see that uh, the I sometimes is extra. It's very useful in life. I'll meet you at that time. But there's no need to claim... How can I really claim the sensation that are in the feet right now, the sensation being gone all the time? How can I claim the the momentary experience of heat that is there and gone? Or how can I claim tingling, hardness? It's clearly known. It's not that it's not there. But how can I really claim this? Somebody says, this is public property. And so when we see um, very deeply that nothing can completely satisfy, there's something that gives, that gives up, gives in. And this is the birth of equanimity. Because suddenly everything shares something in common, the instability, the incapacity to satisfy, the incapacity to be owned, the fact that it's trembling and changing from moment to moment. So from this point of view, there is really, uh, uh, the mind calms down, doesn't get so excited about this rather than that, you know. Knows that it's gonna change, so if it's unpleasant, there's a confidence that this is not lasting anyway and if it's pleasant there's no need to cling to it it's much better to actually feel it enjoy it knowing that it's going to disappear So what we're doing here, being attentive, uh, is exactly uh, the development of uh, equanimity. Actually, uh, mindfulness, as we've talked about this up to now, is already an expression of equanimity. It's interested in what is here now. Do you see there's already the falling away of preferences? So we're using, already there's a need for equanimity to already be there in <coughs> this practice. And this reign that we talked about, recognize, allow, accept, be interested, not identified with what's going on is also has in it the, 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 the embryo of equanimity. But it's also something that we can practice systematically if we want in a formal way. And so sometimes we'll see that there's some um, events that really triggers us and is hard to be with. And it's possible to actually do a formal practice of equanimity around this. So maybe you wanna close your eyes for a second and we'll finish on this. And uh, bring to mind Some situation that is uncomfortable, where there's a discomfort, conflict, or something unresolved that you don't want to deal with, would prefer to bypass or get rid of, or feel some fear of uh, engaging with. be at work, in family relationship, or uh, health, maybe. And the development of equanimity could be to just learn to hang out, not think, overthink, but just either visualize or feel the situation. And just one little sentence that can uh, be useful is just to say, This is how it is right now. So it's a kind of a similar practice to metta, but it's to develop the capacity to be with a challenging situation. So we just repeat this slowly as we think of the situation. This is how it is right now. Might be a friend that is sick and we would really like to solve this but can't. So we just learn to open the heart and be present without shutting down, without being, uh, getting uh, uh, feeling despair around this. Just learn to be with, saying, this is how it is right now. And One other sentence that I like is, my happiness depends on my response, not on the circumstances of my life. my happiness depends on my response not on the circumstances of my life this is the buddha's teaching my happiness depends on my response my capacity to be with And to respond in an appropriate, beneficial way. Not on the circumstances of my life. And so you can bring this practice uh, in daily life also. When there's a situation that is hard to be with, instead of reacting right away, if we can remember just to spend a few seconds maybe to just feel open to it. Hmm, this is how it is right now. then i think uh it opens the space for a creative response creativity if i'm in resistance no i don't want to have this experience or i don't want to have had this experience i refuse even what happened the mind and heart and body is all tight it's not possible to find uh, spontaneous or creative uh, answer we need first to relax and feel it even though it might hurt and so i'll finish with this quote uh, from uh, Ajahn Sumedho, a very respected teacher, he says, in this heart-mind, there is place, there is space for everything. Butterflies can come in, armies, dark clouds can come in, or nothing. In this heart-mind, there is space for everything.